The book of Hebrews, so we've been in this for some time. It is, in case you have not been with us, it is built around five warning passages. These warning passages are to Christians and to be completely transparent, they are both difficult to understand, they're hard, and they're weighty. Uh, I was, uh, Tammy and a number of our ladies are up at the retreat this weekend, and I was telling her last night, I said, I got done preaching this last night, and for the first time in a long time, I went, I got to do this three more times. This is, because it, it, it's just, there's a weight to this, this warning and looking at our own hearts. So, uh, so I give that. Now, I will tell you that of all the warning passages, this is actually the longest. So we're going to break it into kind of a part one, part two. Good. So you can come back for weighty next week, too. There you go. How's that for good news? And, uh, but let's read the text together, and then we'll jump in. Hebrews chapter 12, starting with verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Make straight paths for your feet. So that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather may be healed. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. That there is no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. So just to give you context, so if you've been with us, when it comes to studying the Bible, context is king. That's you, so you've got to know what's going on. So the entire book has been written to encourage these believers to persevere, to, to walk on through difficult times. Now, these believers in particular are facing a lot of persecution, both from the Romans, again, AD 60, Nero, uh, Colosseum. You know, I, I don't know if you remember, but one of Nero's, he had these hanging gardens in Rome, uh, Christians, he would take, he would roll them in pitch and let them actually become human torches in his gardens. I mean, so a lot of ways to go. That's not how I would choose, right? So they're facing some tough stuff, but they're also facing persecution from those that are still under the law, under Judaism, because that's where they came from. They came from that place of being under the law. They heard about the grace that is in Jesus. They accepted him, but now those who have not left Judaism are also now bringing persecution that, you know, they have left and done all this. And so throughout all of this, it's this idea of persevere, run with endurance, He's told us in, in Hebrews chapter 11 all these stories of the Old Testament saints who live by faith in the midst of difficulty. And, and now he comes out, and so he says, let us run with endurance this race that's set before us. How do we do it? Fix your eyes on Jesus. 
Fix your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. And then as we looked at last week, where he takes that is, in, in the beauty of the difficult stuff you go through, God will be working in your heart. This idea of discipline, of instructing, of continuing that process of making us into the image of Christ. And so now as he is beginning this transition into this last warning passage, he says this, Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So as you run the race, you need to be focused on both strengthening yourself, but strengthening others around you. This is why we are called to community, because it's hard. And there are going to be those moments in life when somebody else is really going through it, and you look over, and man, they're, they're just no more strength left. You're to come by and strengthen them. You're to encourage them. You're, you're to help them. We're in this community. In fact, he's going to get in the midst of the warning there in, um, what is it, verse 15. He says that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. His whole point there is, on the one hand, we're supposed to encourage one another, help them go on, and later the warning's going to be, if, you know, if, if you let this root of bitterness, it's going to affect others. Folk, none of us live as an island to ourselves. We were made for community. We were made in the image of God who, by the way, exists in community with himself, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Community is such an important thing. And part of it is, man, when the road gets tough and our hands are hanging down, we have brothers and sisters who come along and they help us and they encourage us. He talks about make your path straight. The idea is you don't want to be running around in circles. You want to be focused on Jesus. Um, and then he even uses this idea of when you're running, you know, typically the place where you will tear up your ankle or your knee is when you're not wanting a straight line. It's when you're going this way and that way. And so make your path straight. Focus it on Jesus. And this is such an important truth. In fact, if you remember back in the last warning passage in Hebrews 10, he came to the same idea of we need to not only run well, but we got to help others. He said, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love, to good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly, it's the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and even all the more, as we see that day drawing near. Then he comes to verse 14, which is it's kind of an interesting verse, because it, it almost seems a little out of context, and yet it's obviously in context he wrote it. It's this idea of pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. These are two guardrails. So as we're running, we're running with endurance. We're focusing our eyes on Jesus. There's two rails here that we need to stay within. And the one is that we need to pursue peace with all men. Now, that's easy when people want to be peaceable right <laughs> it gets a little bit more difficult when by the way they're persecuting when they're antagonistic and he says pursue peace with all men so how do you how do you do that well i think paul gives us some really good instruction on that in the book of romans 
he's writing to the people in Rome who are also facing persecution. He says this, don't ever pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, right? So the point is, when you're reviled, don't revile. Isn't that Jesus? Focus your eyes on him. When he got pushed at, he, he didn't push back. And I think the really, the idea here is, is that, you know, don't, don't be antagonistic. Don't be obnoxious. Do you remember what Peter said in Peter 4? He says, if you're going to suffer, suffer as a, as a Christian doing right. Don't suffer as an evildoer. Don't, don't be in people's face. Don't, don't be, you know, pushing back and antagonistic towards them. But as much as it depends upon you, be at peace with people. But then he adds the other guardrail. And pursue the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. The sanctification. Now that's an interesting phrase. As we've looked at, when you think of sanctification or salvation and the way it's used in Scripture, it's actually used for different things. One way is the idea of justification. That's kind of when our mind goes. We see salvation in the Bible, or we see, we think justification, right? So that we are saved before Jesus, our sins are washed away, we are made right. That's justification. That's our position in Christ. But there's other places, and we've seen this in the book of Hebrews especially, when he's talking about sanctification, he's not talking about justification what he's talking about is that process of becoming more like jesus it's that ongoing process in the child of god as they as they're walking with the lord that god is refining them making them like jesus there's actually a third sanctification that is coming a third salvation and that's that day when we get home when our redemption is complete right this body now is is redeemed and we are made perfect that is still yet to come so the question is when he says and pursue the sanctification without which no one will see the lord what's he referring to now theologically correct it could be justification right because obviously if you don't know jesus you don't know jesus which seems maybe a little redundant i would argue that he's talking to believers so that why and, and so you all are believers so if i came and said listen you all are saved but you need to pursue being saved that doesn't really make sense does it so I don't think he's dealing with our position here. I think what he's dealing with is the practical sanctification of, of our lives. Pursue the sanctification without which we'll not see the Lord. Well, what do you mean we'll not see the Lord? Well, this is about fellowship. This is about walking in the light. Do you remember what John said in his epistle in 1 John? He says this, if we say we have fellowship with him. Now, by the way, John in 1 John is writing to Christians. So he's talking to us. So if we say we have fellowship, right? We got this good relationship with Jesus going on. 
oh, by the way, and yet walk in darkness, so we walk in sin, we lie. We lie. Why? Because you can't have a good relationship with God and walk in sin. Because you know what sin does? Sin separates us from God. He's holy. He's just. And so you can't say, oh man, I'm walking with Jesus, and yet there's all the sin going on in your life. You're lying. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. It's not you and me. It's me and him. And you and him. We have fellowship when we walk in the light. Do do you get that? In fact, do you remember what Jesus said in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. See, this is that practical aspect. And what he's saying is, Listen, here's your guardrails. On the one hand, you want to pursue peace. But on the other hand, you want to pursue holiness. You're pursuing Jesus. And quite honestly, that's difficult sometimes, right? Because sometimes what people say, I'm going to pursue peace, so that means I'm just kind of going to do anything. I'm just going to go with the crowd. I'm never going to take a stand. Because no, 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 no. That's one guardrail. The other guardrail is i got to pursue the sanctification. I've got to follow after Jesus. I can't walk in lies. I can't walk in darkness. How do we do that? Well, keep your eyes on Jesus right but it's tough and I would argue with you it's especially tough for us because the people that the writer of Hebrews was writing to and the people that Paul were writing to did not live in a a representative republic they didn't have a vote so they saw all this crud going on and it's like they couldn't participate and they wouldn't participate but they didn't have no vote they had no voice to say it's wrong you and i do and that becomes difficult of how do we pursue peace but at the same time we cannot walk in untruth and so if you've been around here you know that we we very much don't get involved in politics we do get involved with what the word of god says and sometimes those things cross and we're kind of in one of those seasons right now And so we live in a culture that is growing more and more against godliness. And yet we've got to stand for truth. And how do we do this and try to pursue peace? For instance, uh, if if you've watched any TV, you understand we're in another election season. Boy, aren't you glad that they come around all the time, right? And the political ads, and I just have been, because it's been years since this has been the case, but quite honestly, a lot of the election, even what we're going on in here in Arizona, has to do with abortion. Here's the thing, and if you weren't here when Roe versus Wade, just let me tell you, it's, it's not a political issue, it's a biblical issue. The Bible is really clear that God made man in his image. And that when conception happens, that there's a life there that is created in the image of God. We can't kill that. And so how do we pursue peace, but also pursue sanctification? Um, there's, There's a movement going on right now. Uh, in Washington, which then kind of talks to, you know, about who we're sending up there, where they want to redefine marriage. 
Well, that's not a political piece. That's a biblical piece. God's the one who made it. Genesis 2, Jesus spoke to us really clear. For this reason, a man you know, leads his father and mother, he cleaves to his wife, right? We got this whole thing going on about gender identity. And again, Scripture, this is not political. This is just the Bible. The Bible says that God made us male and female. And yet we have people who don't see it that way and, and sadly you know they're they're people that jesus died for that he loves and they're very confused and so how do we pursue peace you know at the same time pursue the sanctification it's hard it's hard but that's the road we're called to walk what I would argue with you is that it is making that path straight with those guardrails, keeping our eyes on Jesus that causes us to always have to lean into him, to look for him for the wisdom of how do we do this because we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But we can't live in lies. We just can't. We are the children of God. We, we walk in the light. And so he gives these guardrails as he now transitions into the warning. So the warning kind of starts here. Like I said, it's a really long, we're, we're, we're just going to deal with this first part of it. Verse 15. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. So here's warning number five. And yet it has been kind of this this undercurrent from the very beginning and that is this don't walk away from grace you were under the law you were under the all of the the requirements of the law you were trusting in yourself you came to jesus jesus paid it all you walked in his grace don't walk away from grace because the grace is not just about justification. The grace is also about sanctification. It's how you live. It's how you live it out in this world. And you go back to the book of, Gen or the book of Hebrews and you see this thread. He starts in Hebrews 2.9. But we do see him who is made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Right? The superiority of Christ. And then he moves on, the superiority of Christ, he's become our great high priest. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Again, that's not salvation. That is the journey of sanctification. We draw near because we need to live and walk in his grace. You go to the last warning passage that we looked at in Hebrews 10. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and is regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and he has insulted the Spirit of grace? Grace. See, his point is this. God's grace is sufficient. 
is not just sufficient for salvation. It is sufficient for all of life. That's why he just talked about how when you're walking through difficult times, which you've got to understand, you are the child of God. And God in his infinite wisdom as our Heavenly Father disciplines us. As we talk, that discipline isn't just corrective, but it's instructive. And we learn and we go. And so God's grace is always sufficient. In fact, most of us, if we were to sit here and tell stories today of those moments when we've experienced the grace of God for most of us is probably some of the most difficult times of our life I mean you, you, you think back to the stories that he told in Hebrews chapter 11 they were people who walked in faith and walked in difficult times because God meets us in those difficult times and he shows us his grace. He reveals to us pieces of himself that maybe we've never touched before because we didn't need it before, but we need it now. Peter put it like this in 1 Peter 5, and after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, I love that expression, the God of all grace, who called you by his eternal glory will himself complete or perfect confirm strengthen and establish you don't fall short of his grace here's the thing his grace is sufficient that's not the problem what the problem is is us we fall short of it so what happens is and we've talked about you know you go through these difficult times and, and we don't understand and there's frustration and maybe some anger towards God well where we fall short is instead of turning to the Lord with our anger and our frustration and our, our not understanding and we turn our back to him and we walk away and we're going to figure this out on our own and we're just kind of going to go our own way and here's what he says don't fall short of the grace of God because the next step happens here is that turning from God's grace in your life will bring this bitterness. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. You see, when we, when we turn from the Lord in the midst of difficulties and, and, and let God speak for himself and lean into him in faith like the people of Hebrews 11... And we think, no, I'm just, I, I'm going to do my own thing. God doesn't love me. We listen to the lies. What now gets created in our heart is this, this bitterness. That, you know, God doesn't love me. God, God's mad at me. God is not faithful. God's all the, these lies. And, and it springs up. I, I can remember back when I was a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor at a church in Ohio. And within a couple of years, we had two families that lost small children. Now, I'll tell you, I, uh, talk about a fraternity that I would never want to be a part of. And if you've walked through it, I can't imagine. I just can't imagine the pain of that. But to me, what was really interesting was one of those couples, in the midst of their pain, their hurt, I'm sure not understanding. But man, they, they just leaned into Jesus. And I mean, you could almost see it on their face, their countenance. They, they just, they grew softer. They grew more grace-filled. Their, their marriage thrived. They became leaders in the church. He became a deacon. She a deaconess. I mean, this just, it, their, their other son followed after the Lord. He was in, in my youth department. The other couple, though, got mad at God. 
And in their anger, they didn't lean into him. They just kind of started shutting the doors. And, and guess what happened within, I think, within two years? The marriage busted up. They had a, a son that was coming into the youth department, wanted nothing to do with the Lord. And that's what happens, that root of bitterness. And his whole point is you got to be careful because not only does this affect you, but this affects others. You, you don't lean into the grace of Christ. You let this bitterness come. It's going to affect others around you. You're going to affect, you're going to poison the well, so to speak. And it's going to, people are going to take your offense and they now are going to have a hard heart towards God. This is what happened. And if you remember here, the writer of Hebrews has so much he's pulled out of the Old Testament. And this is one of them. He doesn't quote it. But this idea of the root of bitterness comes right out of Deuteronomy 28. So that there will, be, will not be among you a man or a woman, a family or tribe whose hearts turns away from the Lord our God to go and to serve the gods of the nations, that there will not be among you a root-bearing poisonous fruit or wormwood. You know, when people come short of the grace of God in their life, they get mad at God, they get mad at what he's doing they get mad at people around them it affects others you know how many churches have been split and splintered because of this root of bitterness somebody someplace they got hurt and they couldn't walk in the grace of god and, and man it's this offense and other people take the offense and it, it's just crazy but that's not the end of it did you see that it goes further verse 16 that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance though he sought for it with his tears. Bitterness of the soul leads to a life the word I would use is profane he, he uses this example of Esau he uses the word of immoral but I don't think he really means that okay every, everybody who falls short of the grace of God has become a literal fornicator I, I think it's a spiritual sense we turn from Jesus and now we worship other things we become this profane that we're living for the day we live for the moment that's, that's the picture of Esau and so we miss God's blessing in the midst of the difficulty, his grace in our life, but we also miss out on the inheritance. You know, you think back to the warning passages. Chapter 2, he talks about the people that drift. This is what happens. This bitterness, and it leads to a profane life, a wasted life. You think there in chapter 3 where he talks about don't develop a heart of unbelief. That's what happens. You think of chapter 6 where he talks about it becomes impossible for one who has been, uh, who has done this to renew them again to repentance. There's a hardness of heart. In chapter 10 in that warning passage he says, you, you know, that they trample underfoot the sacrifice of, of Jesus. There's a hardness that comes in. And that's, that's his point here. Man, it starts with you come short of 
the grace of God. You don't live in Jesus and his grace. And that creates bitterness. And unchecked, that bitterness leads to this hard, hard heart. And his point is simply this to us. This is the warning. Our choices today can have eternal consequences. What he's been trying to say to us throughout this whole thing is live by faith. And it's not always easy. I mean, you think of the stories of Hebrews chapter 11. It wasn't easy. But when you live by faith, what you'll find is, number one, that Jesus is faithful. And secondly, that it comes with great reward. I mean, that's how he finishes up the last warning passage in, in Hebrews 10. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence don't walk it back because that has a great reward and this is the issue when we turn from god's grace a hardness can set in he uses the story here of esau are you familiar and I, I don't have a boatload of time but if you go to the old testament god calls abraham i'm going to make you a great nation he has one son uh the son of promise isaac isaac has two sons they're twins my wife's a twin. You know, the funny thing is, when they're born, they're born minutes apart. My wife is two minutes older than her sister. That has played well for her her entire life. <laughs> when, um, when Esau and Jacob were born, Esau was, in fact, Jacob, if you remember, his foot came out first, and then but then Esau came out first, and so he's the firstborn. Firstborn received a double portion of inheritance. The story's told that as they grew up, Esau was a, you know, neither Jacob or Esau were really great examples in their young life of godly people, by the way. But Esau was a hunter, and he liked the outdoors. Jacob was more, he's, you know, liked being in a house. And so the story's told that Esau goes out hunting, he comes back, he's starving, he's famished. Jacob had made this great meal, it smelled good, this, this bowl of porridge, and, and he goes, hey, give me a bowl of that. And Jacob, being a little bit of a schemer, conniver, well, hey, sell me your birthright, right? Two minutes isn't worth that much, right? But you, you can eat, you can be famished, you know, you can fill your tummy, and I get the double portion. And, of course, Esau's going there, well, why would you do that? But it, what good is it for me anyway? Because if I die, right, because you've been miss a meal, you're going to die. But if I die, it doesn't matter. So he sold his birthright for a single meal. All the blessings of being the firstborn. I'm sure probably even forgotten until later on, years later, as their father Isaac is going to put the blessing upon them, Jacob gets the blessing of the firstborn. And what we read is, when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceeding great and bitter cry. and said to his father, bless me, even me also, my father. And he lifted up his voice and wept. His point is this. He sold for one little meal all the blessing and all the inheritance he would have. Don't become like Esau. That's where the hardness comes. But there's an interesting phrase here, and this is kind of what I want to end with. He says this, for he found no place for repentance. 
does that mean? He found no place for repentance, even though he sought it with tears. The way we read that in our language is he sought repentance with tears, right? He's trying to make it right. Well, no. No, he didn't seek repentance with tears. He sought the inheritance with tears. The repentance of, oh my, look what I've done. I sold it all for, for a meal. It's never there. <laughs> In fact, what we read in he, Genesis 27, so Esau bore a grudge against Jacob. It's all his fault. And the days after the morning of my father and me, I'm going to kill my brother. Does that sound like a repentant heart? No. I think that's his whole point. His whole point was Esau came short of grace. He, he, he didn't live in his life, a root of bitterness. It's all Jacob's fault. And there was never a point of owning his own sin. There was never a point of owning that, that it had been his mistake. There was never a point of repentance. Do you remember in Hebrews 6, that really difficult warning passage? But this is what it says. If they fall away... It is impossible to renew them again to repentance. Oh, do you see it correlating here? You see, here's what happens. There's a hardness that comes with sin. This is the warning. This is the warning. When you and I come short of the grace of God, when we don't lean into Jesus, when we decide to go our own way, and we decide to walk in our path and live for the things of this life instead of the things in the future... There's a hardness that comes in. My dad used to call it the intoxication of sin. Have you ever tried to talk sense with somebody who's drunk? Three sheets to the wind, and you're trying to explain, hey, you really shouldn't drive that car? Oh, no, I'm fine. Right? They can barely walk. But they think they're fine. Why? There's an intoxication. They can't see truth. And that's the warning. That's what can happen in our life when we choose to not walk in Jesus, to follow Jesus, to let sin in. We're going to do it our own way because we always think that, oh man, down the line I'll get this fixed. But what we don't understand is it's a hardness that comes into our life that we may not want to. We may not want to. Today is the day to walk with Jesus. Today is the day to lean into his grace. Today is the day to seek his repentance. You may be sitting here to see, but man, you know, you don't know what I've done. Is it too late for me? No, if you're sitting here going, I want to do that, it's not too late for you. You still have a heart of repentance. Jesus extends his grace to everyone. You know, we often say he never tires of our new beginnings, and that's all true. The problem is, is that some people who come short of the grace of God and the living for Jesus today just keep thinking, well, someday I'm going to get it right. Someday I'm going to set my affairs in order. Someday I'm going to get, get this right. And his whole point is, listen, no, there's a hardness that comes in. It's, it starts with coming short of the grace of God and then it's a root of bitterness and then there's this, this hardness, this, this profane part of our life that comes. And there won't even be a desire. And quite honestly, that affects. Does it affect our salvation? No. Does it affect that we get to heaven? No. But 
but does it affect walking in his blessing today yes absolutely does it affect our inheritance when we get home yeah folk the warning is walk with Jesus keep your eyes on him don't come short of his grace don't don't let don't let that bitterness begin to to pull up in your soul because it can destroy you from the inside out and as a child of God you can miss so much of what God has for you